You know, every week I start by excusing four to eight-year-olds to kids' club. And if you're new to Calvary and you have a four to eight-year-old, you may not understand or know what kids' club is. You may have wondered. That's perfect timing. I'd love to explain it to you. At Calvary, we value kids participating in our worship. They're part of our church. They bring something we need. And at the same time, we recognize that some kids don't thrive in a sermon environment, which makes it difficult both sometimes on kids and parents. See, Austin now has got enough. He's ready to go. Love our kids. So if you are interested in sending kids into Kids Club, it's for four to eight-year-olds. If you want to send your kid, great. If you want to keep your kids, great. If you want to walk them over and see what's going on, that's also great. And if you want to trust them to run out with the rest of the kids, that's great too. We just from time to time want to make clear what Kids Club is and what it's for. So if that's a ministry you're interested in participating with or ever want to help with, you'd have some idea. Talk to Austin if you'd like to know more. This summer we're working through a series in the parables. Walking through the teachings of Jesus Christ as recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. Knowing full well that summer can be a hit and miss season, we wanted to pick out a sermon series that would kind of stand alone. So if this is your week or you miss a week or here or there, as happens during the summer, you could pop right in. And they'd be sermons that would be easily be discussed in a community group, even if you missed it. Um, and so here we are in the parables. We've called this series The Storyteller. And in it, we're highlighting Jesus' teaching method of telling stories. He told stories to everyone. He told stories to the crowds. He's told stories to his disciples. And he did it as a means of communication to teach them truth and in essence to disciple his disciples, to reveal the kingdom to them. So that's what we're going to do this summer. We're going to teach you through these parables as a method of allowing Jesus to disciple you and teach you about the kingdom. Last week we started Matthew 13 with an agricultural metaphor. We're continuing on, so if you turn with me into Matthew 13 for the parable of the weeds. Verse 24 starts this way. It says, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven. So let's pause for a second and recognize that the parables are about the kingdom. They're not about the earth. They're not about the church. They're not about me. They're about the kingdom. And the kingdom of God, as Jesus describes it here, is eschatological in scope. What that means is that what is at stake in this parable is not your happiness. What's at stake is not your best life now. What's at stake is not a better morality or your ability to follow rules as if that would please God anyway. What's at stake here is the kingdom. He's telling us about the kingdom and in essence what eternity will be like. Friends, don't make the mistake of thinking that this life is all that there is. Whether God grants you 30 years, 50 years, 70, 80, 90, or 103. Don't make the mistake of believing that this world is all there is. Or that achieving in this world is all there is. Here, Jesus is teaching the crowd and his disciples about the kingdom. Why? Because he wanted them to know there was more. 
And he wanted them not only to know that there was more, but he wanted them to know what the more looked like. Because they were going to have to reconcile themselves to that. And he gets to that in this parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, Jesus said. Similar to the parable of the sower, except here he's making a different distinction. Here, rather than just sowing seed everywhere, he sows good seed, and Jesus continues. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and he sowed weeds among the wheat, and he went away. So you see, you have a field. There's good seed in it. Now there's weeds sown into it. Continues in verse 26. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No. Lest in gathering the weeds, you'd root up the wheat alongside them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. Again, Jesus uses an agricultural metaphor to teach an agricultural people. He uses parables like this to make a point to people who would have understood the point. So let me give you a funny anecdote about this. And teaching through agricultural metaphors, as I've self-professed to you, I'm not a farmer. In fact, I rarely can grow anything well. Even when I look at those tag that tells me to put it in direct sun, I still put it in the shade and it still dies, and I still take it back because that's their guarantee. This is me. So I, I thought about this, teaching agricultural metaphors. I, I took the time this week to call some farmers. And a funny thing about this parable is I called Tim Hoff, and I asked him a couple of questions. And the funny thing about Tim is Tim grows wheat. And Tim actually explained the parable to me before I told it to him, not knowing the parable I was walking into, because he understood that wheat and weeds show up. In fact, to push that even further, if you read into this, and I didn't read it in Latin this week, but the term that gets translated into Latin actually becomes the actual name of a weed. It becomes a bearded darnel. Now I was going to show you a picture of it, but I promise you it just looked like a weed. In Israel, at this time when they were writing, you'd cast out seeds, it would grow wheat. But they had this special weed called a bearded darnel. And what it did was, over the first three quarters of its life, the wheat and the darnel looked exactly the same. They were indistinguishable. You didn't know which was which. And in fact, it wasn't until the very end where they matured, when the head of the wheat started to appear, that you could tell the difference. Tim knew this, explained it all to me. And in fact, talking to Lenny Lukey, Lenny told me that in this area, we had a different kind of Darnell in the last couple of decades, a Persian Darnell that did the same thing, affected our wheat. It happens everywhere. Why? Because it's an agricultural metaphor and we live in an agricultural society. These people would have understood it. So whether you are a farmer and you get it or not, Jesus is going to make it plain to us. He tells a parable. 
And this parable has a couple of similarities to the parable of the sower that we're at least going to note. First, this is the only other parable that's named by the text. It's called the parable of the weeds, according to the text. But secondly, this parable is also explained. It's the only two that I get a pass on because Jesus makes it pretty clear what it means so we can lean into Jesus and not me. In fact, as we lean into more of these parables, we'll find in Matthew 13, 34 that Matthew teaches, he writes about Jesus, that all these things Jesus said to the crowd in parables, in fact, in this section of teaching to the crowds and his disciples, he did nothing but teach them parables. Why? Because Jesus was a storyteller, and he wanted them to hear stories. And what that suggests to us about God is that our God is a relational God. See, if it would have stopped with the Ten Commandments, we would have had a set of rules, and we could have followed them, and we could have gotten it. And if you're familiar at all with the Old Testament, you'd find that they didn't get it. And even when they had more and more clarifying rules, people still fell real short. Jesus told stories because we have a relational God, and through Jesus Christ, we have a relationship with God. We can know him and he tells us stories because he's relational they teach us things so matthew will come around in a couple verses later to give us jesus's explanation of this parable but before we get there let's make some observations from last week's parable we know much of this metaphor we know that the master is the one who sows And last week, we learned that he sows generously, a call to us to also sow generously. So you can imagine as we step into this field, that it's being sowed with good seed, that it's being sowed really well. And in this parable, you find another character, another sower, so we should consider that. The father is not the only one who sowed seeds, there is another who not only snatches seed, but he himself sows a different kind of seeds that yields a different kind of crop. And if you learn anything from the Darnell, it's this, that there will be seed that looks like it's good wheat that isn't. And that for most of its given life will look like it's good wheat and it isn't. And this is the teachings of Jesus We'll lean into that further in a couple of minutes. This, and then you have the servants. Now the text, nor Jesus, clarifies who they are. But you do find here that one of the big differences is now these servants are questioning the master. And while we'll find text in the Bible like Job 38, where God straightens up a man, it says, gird up your loins like a man and stand before me, a challenging text that truly we all need to read from time to time. We find here that this isn't the master's approach. We find here that the master takes time to disciple, to teach, and to show. In this case, the master shows them that what they need to learn is the difference between the wheat and the weeds. That this time... They won't always be able to discern it. And friends, this is part of the lesson to the disciples. You will not always know who is a true disciple and who isn't. You will not always know what good fruit is and what it isn't. 
And so to us, this parable is both an encouragement and a clarifier for us. And it's an encouragement to us that we would so generously, knowing that the fruit is not ours to claim or to take credit for, it's our job to be faithful in sowing. And that sometimes, you know from last week's parable, the seed will be rejected. And sometimes it's going to look a lot differently than you expected. Our job is to sow generously. And at the harvest time, when the wheat and the weeds have fully matured, we'll go to Jesus' language, the reapers will sort it out. That's not my job. And it's not yours. So let's skip forward to verse 36, where Matthew brings us back to this parable. You know that there are times, and we know based on 35, he taught multiple parables in a row, probably as many as eight. Then the disciples gather back together, back into a house they gather. It says in verse 36, they left the crowds and went into the house, and the disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And the sower, Jesus explains why he used parables. And here, the disciples don't fully get it. So they ask him more about it. And so he answers them in 37 and following, saying, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. And the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are angels. So here Jesus fills in all of the blanks and spells out clearly for them the metaphor. And what you see here is that the metaphor transcends this life and points them to the kingdom. For if it were all about this life, it would be all about the wheat growing, would it not? It'd be whether or not the wheat grew in the right place. It'd be whether or not the weeds obeyed. Or whether they didn't. No, this parable points them to the kingdom. Teaches them about the kingdom. Brings clarity to the kingdom. And if we're missing the transcendent part. If we think that it is all about this world. Or about this life. You're happy, Jesus. You're blonde haired, blue eyed, never offend anyone, Jesus. Clarifies that for you in the next section. Verse 40, Jesus, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels and they will gather out His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Friends, I've been here for two years. This is the third time in God's economy He's put hell on my agenda. I don't like hell. I'm frankly not that comfortable with hell all the time. But you know, one of the neat things about teaching the Bible is Ben's opinion doesn't matter. God's opinion does. So here we have the words of Jesus the Christ teaching his disciples and putting before them all things, including eternity. 
Yesterday I was reading through a couple of blogs and came back that this is the fifth year anniversary of Rob Bell's book, Love Wins. I don't know if you're familiar with it or not. It was really popular a number of years ago. Rob Bell, a pastor in the Northwest, wrote a book basically articulating that who really knows if Jesus is trustworthy? Who really knows if he could be known? Who really knows if he would send anyone to hell? That just doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. How could a good person go to hell? And in his book, he posits, as his title says, Love Wins. Well, that's really sweet. Unless you believe the Bible. Now, I'm not here to put anyone in hell. That's not my job or role. The metaphor makes that clear. The other thing the metaphor makes clear is that hell is a reality. Just like Jesus. And just like His angels. And just like righteous shining, like the sun and the kingdom with their Father, is a reality The fiery furnace, those are Jesus' words. Weeping and gnashing of teeth, those are Jesus' words, are a reality. So what do we do with this parable? What is He teaching His disciples? What is He putting before them? Remembering that Jesus is primarily teaching His disciples through these parables. Building them up so that He can send them out to be the faithful messengers of the gospel, preparing them for ministry. We have three points. First, we must consider the challenging truth in this parable, and that is it, simply. That there's a reality of eternity. You cannot escape it here. And Jesus wanted His disciples very early in His training to understand that. Jews would understand that in the old, from the Old Testament teaching. This wouldn't have been a shocking thing to them. But Jesus wanted His disciples to understand eternity. That's why He's teaching them about the kingdom. Not an earthly concept, by the way. He wanted them to know that there's a heaven and that there's a hell. And He wanted to profess and to teach them at the end of this life they would very clearly be a harvest where the fruit of our lives would be absolutely obvious and it would be gathered. And friends, just like last week, I want to assure you that it's never too late to tend your field. It's never too late to weed or to water. It's never too late to trust Jesus Christ. A couple months back, I read a story about a 93-year-old man who was a farmer in England who was pushing a plow behind an ox when he recalled a sermon he heard when he was eight. That's 75 years removed since that brother had donned the doors of a church that God puts a sermon in his mind, a seed sprouted that day as he came to know Jesus as his Savior, having never donned a church for 75 years. Why? The seed doesn't die. It doesn't go dormant. It's still alive, active, and moving. If you have not trusted Jesus Christ unto salvation... May this be the day you call upon Him. Friends, there's a reality of eternity 
And it's not about being a good person. It's not about whether your good can outweigh your bad. The fruit here of the wheat is not how tall it grew or how pretty it was or whether it followed the rules. The fruit here is trusting Jesus Christ completely unto salvation. It's believing that the completed work at the cross is the only thing that can atone for our sin. Friends, we have to believe that. That's the fruit. That's the seed that's put before us that we have to reconcile ourselves to. And we cannot, we cannot say that often enough. We cannot park there frequently enough because we all, all, all of us need the gospel. Because if you don't know him, you need the gospel for salvation. And if you do know him, you need the gospel to remind you that it's not about you being good enough. And it's not about you following rules. And it's not about you achieving. It's about the completed work of Jesus Christ. And we believe in that. Secondly, I think this parable points us to the reality that the evil one is still at work. That he's still snatching. He's still destroying. And he still has many different kinds of plans and the book of joshua says do not depart from the law to the left or to the right and friends i'll tell you flat out if you want to depart from the gospel you can go any direction you want if you want to rebel against jesus christ and get really wicked you can worship satan and that's a little for you you could just be a witch you go into wicca i mean there are options out here outside of jesus you could be a total, total hedonistic pagan, just pursuing your own flesh, and many do. And, and the reality is you can escape it to the right. If you want to be a good moral rule follower, be a Mormon. They are way better than us. They follow the rules way better than we do. You can escape it to the left or right. There's bondage on any side. You could go Islam. There's plenty of bondage in Islam. You can get tied up thinking that you have to do these five things and God might judge you worthy if he feels like it. Satan is at work. And he's picking on us and desiring us to be sorted out to the left or to the right. And however you're wired, believe me, he has a plan to distract you. And if not you, then someone else. Friends, we have to be aware of this because from time to time, you're going to be called to intervene on some evil sowing and call sheep back into the fold. Several years back, I became familiar with something called the Landmark Forum. You know why I'm familiar with this? About a month ago, some guys showed up in our church who were attending it. A good church member invited him here, loving those guys. You know what the landmark forum is? It's an entry point to Scientology. Hey, come be a part of this. We want to teach you basic leadership principles. You'll be a better person, a better leader. You know what they do? They recruit business people. Years ago, my sister got involved in this. Her boss pressed on her. If you want to be successful here, you got to do it. What'd she do? 
sure, I want to be successful here. Let's do that. It's Scientology. What is that? It's the evil one sowing. That's why they have Scientology bookstores everywhere. And they stand aside and invite you in so they can lure you in and give you these little profile tests and let you know more about you. So you go, oh, that's really true and really neat. I want to know more. Is that Satan sowing seeds? And we have to be aware of it. For if it's not you, it could be someone else. Satan is at work and we can't forget that. And finally, and I think this is the more direct point of the parable, I think this is what Jesus was putting before his disciples directly. Last week we found when we leaned in that the parable of the sowers prepared them to know that as they sowed, that they would be rejected repeatedly. That most people would not believe. I think it prepares us for that reality that the call is there for you to be a generous sower knowing you're going to be rejected a lot. And this week, the parable of the weeds prepared them to understand that as they sow, and as they sow generously, they will not always understand the fruit of the work that they do. They will not always see it because they'd be surrounded by some genuine believers that would look like believers, act like believers, smell like believers, talk like believers, and wait for it, wouldn't be believers. Now this parable is about the world, it's not the church. We have to be clear about that. This parable says clearly the field is the world, it's not the church, but suggest, statistics suggest there's, a, there's at least a part of every church that's unbelieving. The people who come and sit in pews every week, who stand with the rest of us, worship with the rest of us, pray with the rest of us, and have never believed in Jesus Christ unto salvation. Friends, if that's you, would you believe in Him today? There's a reality here we have to grapple with. We're always going to be tempted as we sow to look around at everyone to expect them to be wheat. And I believe that this parable that Jesus is forecasting for His disciples, that not only would many reject the message, but that it would also be hard to know who would receive the message. And that in that, we're going to be tempted to do one of two things. One, we're going to be tempted to give up sowing. Why? Because who knows how fruitful it is. And of the fruit that it produces, who even knows if that's trustworthy? We would be really tempted to start giving in and stop sowing the seed. And secondly, you might be tempted to think it's your job to figure out what is wheat and what is weeds. So if you do the first, if you stop sowing, then you stop being fruitful. And worse than that, you stop being obedient. And frankly, you miss the grace of watching the Lord work firsthand. And I think this is so easy to do. I think it's so easy for believers to stop sowing seeds because they don't see the fruit. I think it's easy for us to buy into the lie and the myth that seeds have to return now. It's got to be evident, it's got to be obvious. 
and miss the fact that we're called to be faithful sowers, not necessarily faithful growers. God grows, we sow. Do not give up sowing. Because when you watch Him work, when you get those little snippets of watching God do great things, it becomes really addictive. And if you want to know what that looks like, at 11 o'clock, go listen to Darrell and Jill, because I promise you they'll give you story after story after story of God's faithfulness. Of men and women sowing the gospel in situations where it looked absolutely fruitless and it turned out to be absolutely fruitful. And when you get to watch Jesus work, it is awesome. And if you fall into that second camp where you think it's your job to figure out what is the wheat and what is the weeds, can I be so bold as to tell you in the words of Jesus Christ in verse 29? No. This isn't your job. You don't get to look at people and measure them up the way you want to. Now there's absolutely a place in the faith where we call each other to a higher standard. There's absolutely the place in the faith where we step into another person's life and say if you're following Jesus, you cannot be doing that any further. But note the difference. If I stand here and I decide in my mind, well, Jesse, Jesse's not a believer. You see how he dresses? I mean, how short are his pants? He's wearing jeans. Now, I could pick on Jesse because he's bigger than me. <laughs> not too many of you I could pick on. That's the mistake that we make. We can decide in our minds that somebody's clearly not because of X, Y, and Z. And by the way, X, Y, and Z has nothing to do with the gospel. Have nothing to do with God's commandments. Have nothing to do with faithfulness. And everything, everything, everything to do with my particularities. With what I've decided it should look like. Friends, it's not our job to sort the wheat in the weeds. It's our job to be faithful sowers. To sow generously everywhere. And to sow knowing that some of it's going to land in places that are unfruitful and still we sow on. And to sow generously in a way knowing that some of it will turn into a great crop yielding 150, 30 fold. And some of it will never, ever, ever, ever know what happened. But friends, we're called to sow generously. To not give up. To not play the judge, but to sow generously. Why? Because eternity is in perspective. And that's what matters. Friends, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in the field. We're called to be that good seed. We're called as the good seed to produce a crop. To be faithful about producing, casting, spreading, and sowing seed. May that be what we are about as Jesus disciples us. Let me pray. Great God in heaven, we thank you for your great grace. That though eternity is a reality, 
that none of us deserve, not one of us deserves. Your word says not one of us is good. And Father, the only way that anyone walks into the kingdom of God is by the grace allotted to us by accepting the atoning death of Jesus Christ in our place. By accepting that Jesus Christ's death is enough to pay the price for my sin, for my failure, for my shortcomings. Father, in this parable, your son taught the reality of hell and heaven that as fruit grows, we will not always understand what it is. But you'll sort it out in the end. Father, we don't want to leave it to chance. We don't want to leave it to accident. We don't want to leave it to chance with a neighbor, with a family member. We don't want to leave it to chance that somebody else would hear the gospel somehow, somewhere. Father, would you call us to be increasingly faithful sowers so that in all the lives in our lives that their souls would matter enough to us that we'd be faithful sowers? Father, as Jesus taught his disciples, so teach us. In your name we pray. Amen.